Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of Principle of Hospitality, the podcast. Now, we've had a collision of worlds, a joining of forces, a banding of brothers. Sash from Principle Design and me, Sean from Open Pantry Consulting, are pleased to announce this venture for 2021, Principle of Hospitality. Now, we know that food brings people together and promotes community. And at Principle of Hospitality, we are here to disrupt current perceptions of what the hospitality industry can achieve in today's ever-evolving and challenging environment. Now, that's why we've partnered with Chef's Hat on this Principle of Hospitality podcast. Now, if you didn't know, Chef's Hat is the largest family-owned and operated hospitality supplier in Australia. They strive to inspire cooks, chefs, bakers, and bartenders to deliver the best product with the best tools every day. So that's why we're so proud to partner with Chef's Hat, where the industry shops. Now let's get into today's podcast. I think you're really gonna enjoy it. Welcome to another Principle of Hospitality podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Worksmith is unlike any other co-working space out there. With spaces in Collingwood and the CBD of Melbourne, they are designed to foster inspiration, innovation and collaboration across the hospitality industry. They are built on a belief that by providing support for the hospitality business, can build their chances for success and elevate our industry as a whole. And as you know, here at Poe, we are all about elevating the industry. So it's a pleasure to sit down with Michael Pachetta, the CEO and co-founder of Worksh- uh, Worksmith, I should say. Welcome to the show, Michael. How are you? Um, awesome to have you on, mate. Um, so let's get into how, how Worksmith started. Obviously, you've got other things as well that you've got on the go in regards to, you know, Falco Bakery and other things too. Um, let's talk about how Worksmith, you know, came about. Yeah, Worksmith started uh, with my co-founder, Roscoe, and I mm-hmm. uh, looking at our first space in Collingwood uh, via the company that Roscoe was working for mm-hmm. and was looking at having a, a food and beverage uh, venue come mm-hmm. in here. And we quickly discovered that the size of the, the space was too big and yeah. uh, usual developer uh, issue of selling apartments above and, and having empty space at the bottom, a mm-hmm. commercial space. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the time, I was uh, running something called Grow Assembly, which yep. is a, uh, an annual uh, event that happened for industry. And I really loved putting those events on and bringing the hospitality community together. Yeah. And I really wanted a, a physical iteration of that. Mm-hmm. And at the time, Roscoe had just come back from something called Remote Year. So basically a year away uh, doing your job remotely with mm-hmm. 80 other people from around the world uh, and really found the best co-working spaces that he went to had a commonality with people working there. So whether it was yeah. tech focus or property focus or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. So that basically snowballed into the idea of a hospitality focused co-working space where we yep. would have you know bums on seats co- co-working, but mm-hmm. then also run a lot of industry events uh, we started off that way and really quickly went into uh, advisory yep. uh, as well. Um, and Roscoe and I have, uh, I guess, a unique or sort of complementing skill set, him being in property and project management and building uh, and myself obviously being in hospitality yeah, and bringing those together and actually assisting both the hospo side um, when they're trying to find spaces and mm. run the listing negotiations, all the things that, not too many people in hospitality are great at. Yes. Um, and then on the developer side, trying to uh, marry up uh, hospitality concepts yeah. early on in the right way to make sure the outcome uh, was you know, obviously up to spec and, and had a, a really long lifetime yeah. in those spaces. Was it, was it a big change for you to, to try something like Worksmith? Because obviously I love when you talk about your sort of history before, mm. before Worksmith and how you came into it because I think that's what – that's what really makes Worksmith not just, you know, a we work for hospitality. Like it, mm. it actually is driven by people who are from the industry who actually care about the industry and know what the fuck yeah. you're talking about. So like how did you get into it before that? Yeah, I guess uh, when Worksmith opened, we already had Bar Liberty. Yeah, uh, yeah. Bar Liberty was uh, probably 18 months old at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, since then, 
under the Madewell Group, we've opened Capitano over in Carlton and now Falco Bakery mm-hmm. a bit over a year ago. Um, opened just before COVID hit. Yeah. Uh, at a very good time for, for, for bakeries. bakeries. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so really obviously thankful of that timing and, and did really well uh, throughout uh, 2020. Yeah. Um, but I guess prior to that, I was uh, I started off in hospitality um, like most do in the dish pit <laughs> uh, as a 13-year-old. Um and really enjoyed that. It's actually where Roscoe and I uh, first met. No way. Um, at, at the age of 13. Wow. Rife, rife old age. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, had our first jobs together and, and went, to sc- went to high school together in mm. the end. And uh, after finishing high school, he went into property development and I really wanted to stick, it, stick around in hospitality. I actually really wanted to be a chef. Right. Um, I went through that stage as well. Yeah. But was it just the romance of it when you saw it? Yeah, it was the romance. I... Uh, Italian family. Yeah. Grew, yep. grew up um, cooking with my mum and grandmother mm-hmm. a hell of a lot, going up to my to my nonna's house every day after school sort yeah. of thing. Yeah, oh, cool. The full the full walk experience. <laughs> um, and really wanted to continue that into the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And uh, the course I did uh, at TAFE had a little bit of uh, cooking in it. Yeah. And really quickly, one of my teachers that I'm still actually in contact with to this day said to me, <laughs> you're definitely suited to front of house just in terms of how you interact with people right, and, okay. and that sort of thing. It's like, oh, okay. And then that's how it kind of pushed into front of house. Fair enough. Um, I I went to stay out in uh, the Yarra Valley. Mm-hmm. So really strong connection to all wow. the wineries and uh, what's going on out there. So my first jobs were um, out in the Yarra in cellar doors, breweries, that sort of thing. My first real restaurant job was at, at Belvedere. Mm-hmm. I was a, a one hat restaurant mm-hmm. um, at the time, sadly does doesn't exist anymore, mm. um, and that was the first taste I got of you know real hospo restaurant service. Yes, intense, um, you know section waiter sort of job. Yes, uh, as a as an eighteen year old, mm-hmm. and just fell in love with it from there. Um, did the classic Australian thing, which I think is becoming less less prevalent of running overseas mm-hmm. to, to London to do yes. Your, year or two over there, you know, fine dining, that sort of thing. Yes. Uh, which I really loved. I, I worked at uh, NAM with David Thompson um, wow. and and loved that as well. That was within a hotel. So it was my first taste of sort of hotel restaurant yeah. um, style place. Yeah. Uh, and then while I was in London, the top 50 or top 100, uh, of course, came out and NAM was on there. And then I also saw uh, a place called Attica. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea what Attica was, being and I was from Melbourne. Yes, well, not from Melbourne, yeah, from the Yarra. Yeah, and hadn't spent much time in in restaurants in Melbourne at all. Yes, um, before leaving to London, so I saw Attica. And I was like, "What is Attica?" <laughs> so I did a, a fair bit of research while I was in London. I was like, "Well, if I'm going to go home, mm. I have to work there." Yeah, basically. right. Um, so when I got back, obviously very broke from traveling around Europe, mm-hmm. and um, worked in the Yarra again um, for a friend helping him out at his venue mm-hmm. and then had a few days up uh, my sleeve spare mm-hmm. and uh, went and knocked on Attica's door uh, and, and Banjo, who's the restaurant manager at the time, basically said, we don't have a spot. It's like, that sucks. Uh, <laughs> can I work for free a couple of days a week? And I had right. no idea what staging was or anything right. like that at the time. Um, and uh, they said, yes, that's absolutely no problem. So for about three or four months or a little bit longer, I was doing – two days a week um, for free um, wow. in the front of house. and What really made you want to do that, Michael, to stop you? Uh, what made you know that that was the right thing. smart to do? Uh, I think for me, because I just loved the, the venue straight away. Yeah, from right. the second I walked in there, mm-hmm. from reading um, as much as I could about it, from the ethos um, behind the food. I knew mm-hmm. Ben um, was a lover of David Thompson as well. Yeah, right. And, um, and that... Uh, that his style, style of mm-hmm. cooking. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was that sort of connection. Uh, there was a guy uh, who was chefing there, I actually went to TAFE with, and he. <laughs> I, d- I had no idea that he was there until I walked in. I was like, wow. holy hell. <laughs> uh, I had a good chat to him. I was like, I just have to work here. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I had people, um, some old friends uh, who are no longer friends, funnily enough, <laughs> uh, and some old work colleagues like, y- you're stupid. They're taking you for a ride. Yeah. Why are you working for free? Yeah, that's the dumbest thing you've ever done. Mm. That sort of uh, rhetoric, and as just mm-hmm. like looking back on it now, I laugh. <laughs> At the time, I was like, oh, "Maybe well, you're right. Maybe yeah. you're right." But mm. you know, it's you know, I can always stop. Nothing, you know, I'm not bound to it. Yeah, sure. Um, and then basically, what happened? Uh, one of the the casual staff left. I got off the casual position, mm-hmm. so I started doing that. 
uh, whilst working full time at the same time. And then a full time I left and I was like, this is my chance to jump in. And then I jumped yep. in from there right. and then de- uh, developed up really quickly into the wine team and then into assistant manager um, uh, at Attica. And um, I guess through that time, uh, created a really good relationship with Banjo, the restaurant manager. Mm-hmm. And then we both left within, I think, three months of each other in right. 2017, I want to say. Yeah. Um, and then later went on to open Bar Liberty uh, with our other two business partners at the time. Yeah. Was it just was it just time at that point to like, you know, leave a restaurant? Obviously, it's peak at that point, you know, yeah. 2017. I think for us, it was very much the time. It was a, it was a stay or go moment. Yeah, sure. Um, where sure. it's like, you know, knuckle down and, and go through the next phase of the restaurant yeah, or sort of pack it up and, and go on to the next thing. And mm-hmm. I was really young at the time and, you know, a big part of me, I still have that sort of thought, oh, what if I stayed sort of thing. Yeah, yeah of course. Um, but being in that environment and how hard you work, and not to say I don't work hard now, by any stretch <laughs> yes. of the imagination, it's, it's just very, a different, it's very kind, different of kind of hard yeah. now. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, mentally was a little bit burnt out mm-hmm. through that process mm-hmm. um, as with a lot of people are in hospital in general. Yeah. Um, but when you, when you work in those environments of such high standard uh, and high pressure mm-hmm. and high volume um, mm-hmm. all the time, mm-hmm. it becomes, there's that, that breaking point and shifting point where you just have to kind of, when you, when you sit back for a moment, as I've always think of this that when you go on holiday, you're 50% more likely to quit your job when you come back. <laughs> um, and we did, my partner and I had my, I actually met my life partner, Vicky yeah. at Attica. Wow. So she was staging as well as a chef. Um, she was only meant to be there six weeks. She says she stayed for the job, but I say she stayed stay for, for you. Stay for, <laughs> stay for the love. Um, hopefully she doesn't listen to this. <laughs> um, uh, so we, we met there as well. And she was in the same position of, getting pretty burnt out um, sure. with the amount of hours uh, that she was working and, mm. uh, and the same thing at that high pressure mm. and just taking that moment. And she'd left a month before me. And I was right. like, I think it's probably time, to time go. for me to go as well. Yeah. Um, Bar Liberty wasn't on the cards when I left. It wasn't like, I'm going to leave then open. Right. So how did that come about? Uh, so through uh, Manu uh, and Casey who had Rockwell and Sons mm-hmm. on Smith Street, which is now Falco Bakery, the yes. space. Yeah. Um, and Vicky and I, Literally had our first date there. Right. And from then, Manu's like, anyone that's been served by Manu just knows like exactly how this went down. But he's like <laughs> the smoothest dude on the floor. Um, and uh, just started chatting and then found out I watched Attica. And then we started chatting a little more and started getting a, a coffee every week for probably a year. <laughs> um, and just we had a very similar ethos in the type of hospitality we we loved um, yeah. as and the type of food we loved. Uh, and Casey, his business partner, um, is an incredible chef. I think, you know, obviously a little bit of bias because he's my business partner now, but <laughs> I think he's one of the most underrated chefs in Australia. And yeah, you look right. At, you look at his breadth of skills. Yes. You look at Falco, Bar Liberty and Capitano yeah. as venues. Mm. Uh, and although we've got Zach, uh, who's our head chef at um, Bar Liberty, who's really driving the menu now, mm. previous to that was Casey. Mm. And to, have, to be able to interchange those hats between you know, Bar Liberty that's has, uh, is a little more fine. Yes. Uh, I won't say fine dining or any stretch. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then Capitano is like, I think they've got some of the best pizza in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Um, and then across to Falco and most people think, you know, pretty simple, but the literally line out the door every day for those sandwiches that he makes. Yeah. Um, as yeah. well as prior to that Rockwell and Sons. Yeah. So it's like, you look at that breadth yeah. of, of skills. It's not many chefs have that. No. Um, and he's very quiet about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so you know, always loved his food, and there was just uh, the chance that the venue that was prior to Bar Liberty was for sale, which mm-hmm. is an old taco place. Mm-hmm. Um, and Manu and I went there for dinner one night, and then started looking around, and, and then managed to to take over the lease uh, right. end of twenty seventeen, uh, and then early twenty eighteen we um, opened. Was it? Oh, prior to that, I've got it completely wrong. <laughs> We're five years this year, till 2021. Do the math. 2016. There you go. Sorry about that. It's a big difference. Um, yeah. 2020 really it's screwed, stuffed I, up I, everything. I, hasn't I, I signed a bunch of contracts this week. Yes. Signed them dated 2020. <laughs> no, I got a reply saying everything's fine. It's Except for 2021. <laughs> so, sorry. <laughs> mm. 
when you guys, um, you know, opened that first venue, was it was it what you thought it was going to be like? Because obviously no. that's your first, no. you know, venture, right? Yeah, yeah. So how was it different to what you thought it was going to be? Uh, we thought it was going to be very, like we still tout, you know, tout ourselves as a wine bar. And we yeah. are definitely still a wine-focused venue. In terms mm. of spend, we're still, we uh, our head spends more on booze than it is food. Mm-hmm. Um, but we thought it would be even more weighted in the bar direction. And even the menu, uh, the food menu back then um, reflected that. It was just a pretty simple some snacks and some, a few sort of larger dishes and a few vegetables. Yes. Um, and really quickly, you know, obviously touching on Casey being such a bloody good chef, everyone mm. loved, really loved the food as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, and just by way of what customers wanted, what guests wanted, we really started pushing more into that restaurant realm. Mm. And now uh, we're a one-hat restaurant, which I never thought – I never we never opened it wanting to get a hat. It was very right. much by liberty, like everything in the name. It was all about, you know, we're all ex-fine dining. We wanted yes. to sort of shed that skin of fine dining. And, yes, we can still carry across those skills yes. uh, into uh, what we were doing in a really low-key setting. Right. Um, but we didn't want tablecloths or the music's really loud, playing rock and yeah. all that sort of thing. We wanted a place that we'd love, we, we want, we'd love to work in. Right. Um, it's more accessible. Five years later, if someone said that to me, I'd be like, it's not commercially viable. <laughs> uh, back then, I was like, I'd just say, fuck off. This is what I really want to do. Yes. Uh, and we did that. And honestly, it was like such a great ride at the start, those first few years. And yeah, just by way of what people wanted, we just started serving more and more food. Yeah. Uh, and now we're definitely in that sort of casual restaurant realm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it certainly turned out, you know, f- we've just recently turned five and- I wouldn't probably never have dreamt that we get to five years um, <laughs> knowing the restaurant industry, Yeah. Uh, let alone say that we've opened another two venues since then and then obviously Worksmith thrown in there. Mm. It's been been a busy, busy five years. Absolutely. Two kids as well in that time. <laughs> <laughs> you need to slow I'm down. I'm fucking tired. <laughs> 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 so, uh, so, Michael, let's, you know, obviously – You've got three venues, you've got two worksmith sites, you know, the second site in the CBD, we're recording here in Collingwood Mm -hmm. um, in this fantastic space. Like, you guys are so connected to the industry. Like, when I think of everyone that I've wanted to talk to during this time, like, to to have a connection now through you and to have this conversation, like, we feel really humbled to have this conversation because you're the biggest connector in the industry in Melbourne. Like, what did you see happen last year from your perspective knowing the amount of venues that you guys support, mm. have conversations with the owners that you talk to, plus your own venues, like how did you guys get through it? Um, it was interesting. Uh, obviously a hell of a lot of stress for everyone involved. Mm. Um, you know, hosp- you know, and I'm going to say everyone, I mean everyone in the world. Yeah. Um, and then obviously hospitality, um, you know, doubly so. And I guess through that time, as myself, my business partner's, both at Worksmith, but especially at the venues because we have so many staff. We have, I think, yeah. I think we're at about 60 staff now. Mm. Um, we decided really early how we were going to approach it from a, a, a employee level. Yes. Um, this was before JobKeeper was announced. Um, but when the first lockdowns were sort mm-hmm. of happened, we very quickly looked at our books and knew that, you know, rent can wait. <laughs> That's yes. one thing. Yeah. Pre having those discussions with landlords. Yeah. Um, you know, how much would we have to do a week mm. just to pay our staff mm-hmm. at 80%? Right. Everyone. Okay. Yep. Um, and we learned really quickly that, uh, you know, Capitano lends itself well for takeaway, obviously pizza and yep. pasta. Yep. Falco did really well with as the bakery. Yep. Liberty um, was obviously the, the hard one. Sure. Uh, but it was also the smallest team. Right. Um, okay. So we're able, we actually distributed staff between other venues right. f- from Liberty as well as they did their own little projects. Like we did Rockwell and Sons out of there for a few weeks. Yeah, right. We take home burgers um, yeah. to cook at home. We did a wine store. We did, you know, the like a lot of people did, just general sort of take home meals as well mm-hmm. uh, twice. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, we decided that also the, the people that uh, were internationals, uh, visa workers or backpackers or whatever else, and I think we had, between six and eight people at the time, mm. uh, we would actually prioritise them over Australians. Um, what made you make that decision? Purely out of we knew that every Australian that worked for us, a citizen, could turn around and get 
yep. some form of job seeker before yep. the, the announcement yeah, the of announcement the increase. Yep. Um, and that was actually received really well by both the, the Australian citizens yes. and then obviously the uh, internationals that were being supported. Yeah. Um, subsequently, obviously, JobKeeper came in. Mm-hmm. Um, the few people that we had to um, let uh, stand down or reduce hours considerably went straight back up. Right. Um, and were able to retain the majority of our staff all the way through COVID because of wow. because of that. And the only people who really lost were a few of the internationals that made their own decision to go, to home, go home during yeah. during the pandemic. Yeah. And even to this day, we still get really great feedback from the staff that even the ones that are leaving when we're doing exit interviews, that sort of thing, that yeah. it's like they'll never forget that. And we um, are really happy that we made that decision at that time. And then from a, a whole industry, going through that personally, mm. um, and then on the worksmith side, obviously, you know, we're a co-working space. Yes. Our main membership, our main revenue driver is membership. Yes. Offices are closed. Yes. So no revenue, whereas obviously the mm. venues, at least you can do takeaway. Can't really do takeaway membership <laughs> uh, in the form that we'd like. Um, <laughs> that would be a great model though. Yeah. but yeah. And then through JobKeeper, obviously getting that support was, you know, allowed us to survive as well as having discussions with landlords. Mm. And we decided really, really quickly that we would just do everything we could to assist industry mm. in as many ways as we could. Mm. Um, so straight away, two, two of our team, um, is what I love about the Worksman team, is like they're incredible. They're all incredible in their own right yep. and can make some really quick decisions sure. um, at the right time. And mm. and two of two of the team uh, went and started uh just called it COVID-19 Industry Support Group Yep. on Facebook. Yep. We thought about, you know, 20 people might be on there, like <laughs> restaurant owners. Yeah. And uh, within a week, there was 10,000 people on there. Wow. Um, 90% of them were from Australia. And we basically used that to disperse information to the industry uh, as quickly as possible as it came out from, from government. Mm. Um, we were a part of a number of the sessions with government as well. Yeah. Um, mainly state government, wow. um, through COVID. Yes. So we're able to relay that information uh, as best we could. We created a lot of documentation and resourcing through mm-hmm. that time as well Certainly to, sh- to share on the group. Mm. Um, we flipped our website into being a bit of a home base for all of that information that was getting shared on on the group and pushing it up to that site. And that's since gone through another refresh and still gets a lot of use. Um, and uh, also started Tipjar, mm-hmm. which is a – uh, a hospitality relief fund. We've raised seventy thousand dollars through that. Well done. Uh, we're continuing to to run that fund with Street Smart, and Street Smart will continue to manage it for us, um, mm-hmm. and and that will assist a number of charities ongoing. Which is yeah. is something that uh, you just touched on before. Is like this idea of like slowing down, yes. and and during when it was all happening, deciding to you know put another hat on and do tip jar and you know other things we're doing for industry. I had a few people saying it's like you might be taking on a bit too much. And it's like the first <laughs> thing I said, I was like, probably right. But it's like, I don't want to wake up when this is over, naively thinking it might be six months. Yes. Um, and feel like I didn't do enough. Yeah. And I've always had that, I don't know, I blame my mum and my grandmother for this. Mm-hmm. Um, that's always need to care for people. Yeah. Not so good at caring for myself, but that's, <laughs> yes. another, that's another thing I'm, trying, thing I'm right? trying to work on. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, and I, I feel that uh, I wouldn't change anything. Like, to be honest, you know, financially uh, and personally, the hardest thing ever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And not just from a business standpoint, like personally financial loss um, has been difficult to grapple with um, whilst having our second baby (laughs) eight weeks ago. (laughs) Congratulations. (laughs) Um, Thank you. Um, But I I know every day, as it sounds a bit cliche, but like waking up and just going, well, there's about a five billion other people have it worse off than yeah. me right now. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I can't really complain too much. And that's what I really struggled with last year is a lot of the voices coming out during COVID for hospitality yeah. or just generally in, in government or whatever it was, whatever industry body was speaking at the time about how bloody hard it was. And yes. It's like, yeah, it is, but there's a lot more people that have it worse off. And mm. yeah, lockdown was bloody hard here. Um, and I speak from experience with – Shut, shutting down venues, letting people go, yeah, sacrificing wage, all the rest, yeah, not seeing family. My grandmother passed away um, 
during at the end of uh, the last lockdown, big oh, lockdown, and that was really difficult. Yeah, but I always felt that it's like, well, if I can deal with that and I can still see the light at the end of the tunnel, yes, then what are, what are we all fucking complaining about? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I know there's people with big bigger bank balances than what I have. Yes. So, with all that said, everyone has their own shit sandwich at the end of the day. Yeah, and I completely understand that. But I feel like we're we're coming through a time now that we can see the end of the light at the end of the tunnel. Certainly not over, mm. but um, I feel that now is the time to make adjustments that we never really wanted to make or never could see could be made in our sure. businesses and personal lives as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm really thankful for having gone through what we did mm. because we're better for. It. I'm I'm definitely better for it as a as a person. Yeah, but uh, you know, works with in particular. Uh, although hit really hard financially, we're in a much better position now going forward than we were at the start of last year right. because we have much, much more clarity about how we're going to contribute to the hospitality industry going forward. Yes. Um, and I'm really excited to be here, I guess, you know, March 2021 and in a month we'll run the second Melbourne Cocktail Festival. Yeah. We snuck that in last year just before COVID hit. Uh, I think it was like two weeks before the first cases came into Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, so lucked that out. Uh, but running it this year, the response has been phenomenal, both yeah. from industry uh, and from the public. And it's those sort of things that you know I'm really grateful that we we run and are a big part of um, mm. because we know that running more of these sort of things are only going to assist the industry in regrowing. Yeah, yeah I agree. Um, I want to talk about that in a second because obviously the cocktail festival and what you guys are doing is just you know quite inspirational how you've got guys gone about that um before i do though i want to talk about what did you learn about the industry last year that you didn't know before you're obviously Mm. so well connected to it Mm. you've got i'm sure conversations with people that you probably didn't expect ever to have last year Mm. like what did you learn about the industry uh it's a funny one you know a lot of people talk about the the industry being so resilient yes and people learning about that last year is like, <laughs> we're always fucking resilient. We do with like, we run stuff on us, the smell of an oily rag. Absolutely. And people were surprised by that. I was yeah. like, well, we've been doing this for a while. <laughs> um, so I didn't, I didn't learn. I learned that people didn't know that. Yes. <laughs> more than anything. <laughs> Very true. Um, I, I definitely learned that, uh, I don't know, that there's definitely good in everyone. Definitely. Um, there's people, so many people, we're trying to do so much good. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think a great like point. Yeah. as a baseline, it's like, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so many people are trying to, to help, help thy neighbor, <laughs> so <Yes>. to speak, <laughs> uh, which was really nice. Like, and from the public point of view, even of, you know, supporting yeah. their local, yeah. um, their local uh, businesses in mm. hospitality as much as they could. And really seeing that flip, whether it's from a rate, like buying retail, wine, like buying wine from, yeah. restaurant and that's yes. just like little things and mm. that sort of thing learning that um you know human when we have this shared experience that we've all been through whether you're in hospital or not is that people can look to their, their localities and, and their community and understand that they need support more than ever yes and they can switch that on yeah so for me now it's like well everyone's seen that we've just done that mm-hmm. why stop yeah exactly there is absolutely no reason to go Oh, it's no lockdown, no COVID-ish mm. anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I'm just going to go back to buying a Dan Murphy's. Yes. Or I'm going to start going back to Coles or whatever. Yeah. It's like, well, yeah. you know, two, you know, six months ago when it was in lockdown, you were happy buying the wine at a slightly higher price mm-hmm. from the restaurant around the corner that's run by a family. Yes. Why don't you keep doing that? If you can, if they see yes. something and things like that. Um, and that's what I'd love to see a hell of a lot more of. Yeah. Just people not just suddenly flipping back into the old way of doing things. Yes. Um, I guess other things learned from industry. Uh, there is also, we, I th- we already know the industry is really fragmented. Mm. Um, I think the stats are uh, only 5% of uh, companies in hospitality. Sorry, only 95% of the market is fragmented basically. Yes. And the um, large players only make up 5%, which is really unusual. Yes. Uh, you go to unusual. the States and those numbers are very different. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of that, really hard to get information through to businesses, Yep. Um, which is obviously 
you know, what we tried to do through the support page and mm-hmm. what we continue to try to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but also the, it's so decentralized that um, not only is it hard to find information, um, whether it's legal, accounting, whatever, mm-hmm. um, none of us have buying power <laughs> because yes. we're all small players. That yeah. sucks. I've always yeah. had a chip on my shoulder about the big guys always get the cheap things. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit upsetting. <laughs> um, but then also as the idea of like a united voice to as as an industry, we I, I don't think we have. Yeah, and, no, I totally and agree. yes, there's restaurant caterers. They mm. they serve a purpose for a, a fragment of um, the industry. There's AHA. Yes, great if you're a hotel operator mm-hmm. and you have pokies. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yep. Um, but for the majority, none of us were all a little bit leaderless. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we're confused where to go, right? Yeah. With the proper information and leadership. Yeah, exactly. And mm-hmm. I f- I felt through through that uh, real harsh lockdown period that we just kind of lacked that leadership and in media constantly had sort of cherry picked people yep. that were speaking on behalf of us yeah, and kind of seeing the backlash of that and going, well, you know, a good chunk of us don't think like that. Like, mm-hmm. Why are we being re- represented in this way? <laughs> and you're never going to have one, one personal group perfectly represent everyone at yes. the end of the day. Cause we all have very different, differing views in how we run our businesses, mm-hmm. very different political views. Mm-hmm. But I, f- I feel that there was a very, you know, right leaning <laughs> yes. way of, dis- uh, of where the discussion was heading. Yep. And yeah, as I said, there's, there's a lot of us that don't think that way. Mm. Um, and I feel that coming out of what we've been through, it's the time to um, become more of a collective yeah. um, in that way. Yeah. So let's talk about how like WorkSmith's going to evolve in 2021. I think you've mm. probably led us down a couple of paths and how mm. it is. Um, but let's talk about the cocktail festival first. Yeah. Why is that? Why have you guys developed that? Why has that been important uh, for you to bring that to Melbourne? Yeah, I think it's about timing mm. um, more than anything. We were already running a lot of industry-based events, yeah, um, and saw that increasingly the younger um, people coming to the events were really bar and cocktail focused and spirit focused. Interesting. Um, we also had uh, a beverage director at the time, Orlando Marzo, who uh, was. Uh, one world Diageo world class yes. uh, a couple of years ago. Yep. So that certainly pushed it a little bit, but yep. we increasingly saw the people that were really hungry for information yeah. in that subsector of hospitality. Then also saw that that was definitely the one that was the least ex- um, supported in mm. what we were doing with those sort of events. So there was mm-hmm. that piece of it from an industry perspective. Interesting. Couple that with cocktail culture starting to really take off in other places of the world and Melbourne already having some pretty yeah. great bars. Mm-hmm. And we sort of scratching our head two years ago going, why isn't there, a, there's a food and wine festival? There's yep. a cheese festival. There's, yeah. a, there's a lot of like, barista competitions. Lots of barista. <laughs> there's mice, Melbourne yeah. Central Coffee Expo happens yeah. every year here. It's like, yeah. you know, one of the best coffee expos in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, there's all these uh, festivals, beer festival. Mm-hmm. That, and it's like, why isn't there a Melbourne cocktail festival? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and we just headed straight into, into that. And with Orlando's experience from, uh, other festivals around the world that he'd attended and also myself, um, yep. na- mostly uh, London, Paris, um, and uh, I guess in Sydney for Bar Week. And just looking, it's like, well, we're really bereft of having anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first iteration was very uh, sort of a third industry focus and two-thirds um, public. Right. This year we've got a, a smaller amount of industry focus yep. um, and more so – how do we get more people in bars, right. especially early week? Yeah, of course. Um, just to get more money yes. uh, through venues. Yeah. And we created the festival with the sole purpose of um, developing cocktail culture yep. in Melbourne and Australia. Yeah. Uh, we will look to do other cities as well mm-hmm. in coming years. Mm-hmm. And uh, there, as I said, the response has been incredible for, for 2021, mm. um, both from industry and public. Industry, the, the response was thank God we can look forward to something <laughs> yes. and plan for something that will be yeah. fun um, yeah. and great for business. Yeah. And then on the public side, uh, we've had an incredible amount of registrations already um, for the bar safari, which gets people out mm. into different bars. Mm-hmm. And then also for the events that are already starting to sell out. Um, yeah. And we're having more added uh, in the coming weeks. Yeah. And and for us, we see it as an, an ongoing 
festival that, that will run. It connects so many things back to Worksmith and, and what we do mm-hmm. anyway. So many people, the brands we work with already are members. Yes. Um, yeah. A lot of the venues we work with are already in our, in our, in our community. Yeah. Um, and to connect all that together to run this festival every, every year, certainly not easy, Yes, the networks and the communities there um, to to come together and create it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just about being the platform for mm-hmm. everyone else. Yeah, uh, and we really see Worksmith overall as that platform for industry. It's not that um, you know we're not that special. <laughs> I want to say I think you are. Oh, that's very kind. <laughs> well, I don't. I think it's just about um, realizing where the gap is. Yes, and going hard at it. And early days when people were like you going to co-working for hospitality is very narrow mm. it's like well it's I a, thought it was it, fucking smart it's like it's narrow but mm. ain't anyone else doing it no. and you know co-working is something sort of that we actually put to the side now yes it's more about everything else we do yeah we sure. just happen to have a co-working space mm. as well mm-hmm. and for us it's like it's what it what it's what inspires us it's what saved us through covid because we had that focus if we were just a general co-working space what would we've been doing yeah. all of 2020 Yes. Just going, like, really? Yes. We would have shut the spaces and gone on pause. Absolutely. Um, and with everything we do now, as I said before, it's like it's given us great clarity with how we want to move forward and, and really branching outside of our four walls for membership into venue membership through the industry membership, mm-hmm. um, which is really exciting. Uh, mm-hmm. We've got over 30 venues on there now mm-hmm. and then we'll be launching it officially in, in June, which kind of covers off a couple of the things I was touching on before that yeah. I hated about the industry being fragmented, um, not having buying power, yes, more resources and tools, and that's all built into this membership. And it's, it really gets me excited because it's a way to connect to so many more people and so mm. many more venues and mm-hmm. not just in Melbourne because mm-hmm. all of our partners are, are national as well. Yes. That are, are through, uh, are through that su- support network. Yeah. Um, and it will allow us to, to really go national uh, mm-hmm. with, with Worksmith and, and uh, really grow it. Yeah. Are, are you, it's a hard question for me to ask, answer, I suppose. Mm. What, what do you guys think you're trying to create here? Like, are you want to, are you wanting to create, something that is a consistent voice for the industry across the country? Like, do you, do you guys want to go into other states and, and be an advocate for the industry in other states or do you want to focus on Melbourne first? Uh, it's hard not to be Melbourne first because we're from here and our yeah. first bases are here and, and our main network's here. Yeah. Um, uh, we don't want to be an advocacy group. Yeah. And, like, I don't want to be writing submissions to government about a wage increase or anything yeah, like that. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I understand. You can be a voice to industry without without doing those that things. Piece. Yeah. So that's first and foremost. And we do want to do that nationally. Yes. Um the like the whole idea of Worksmith and Roscoe and I, my co founders really are really aligned on this, is is legacy. Right. And I love my venues to bits and I'll continue opening hospitality venues that I'm a part of. Yeah. Um just because I just because I love hospitality. Um mm. and, and having uh, being part of that creation process is really exciting. Yeah. But for me to have uh, impact, we need to do, we need to scale Worksmith. Yeah. To the impact that I want to have on the hospitality industry to mm-hmm. leave a legacy. Yes. And that legacy of being a platform where people can connect and grow yeah. is the dream at yes. the end of the day. Yeah. And at the moment, it's about pulling all these different parts of Worksmith together to create the best possible platform, whether you're a startup F&B um, product or you're a distributor or you're a new spirit brand or you want to start your first venue, yeah. is that we'll have something for you. Yeah. And be able to give you that platform to accelerate your growth, uh, meet the right people and and really speed up the chance of success and then ongoing sustainability. Um, and I think... You know, Roscoe and I, as we always developed this out in the early years, it was always about, you know, what did I want when I was mm. 20 in industry? What did I wish I had? Yeah. was the idea. And we always sort of come back to that um, through ideation phases of any of our projects. Like, well, what did early, what did young Michael want? And, <laughs> and what did he wish he had? And it's a, it's a good guide a lot of the time. Yeah. These sort of things. And uh, we're certainly not there yet. Um, there's there's so much more we want to do and we we certainly do take on too much. But um, as I said, 2020 gave us so much clarity in, in direction mm. that we feel that we're in a great position to, to execute on 
um, in 2021 and onwards. And I guess for us, you know, Roscoe and I want to get to the point one day that Worksmith is a self-perpetuating sort yep. of ecosystem, which is already starting to become. Yep. And we're able to, like, we, we both love seeing people grow. Neither of us um, love being the face of anything. <laughs> we love being in the background and right. en- enabling people to do great things. Interesting. Um, that's why in, in the venues I always want to have the managers sort of front and centre. Yeah. Um, allow them to be the hero, be the hero of, mm. of, of venue. And even at Worksmith, I was I always try and shy away from it, but <laughs> inevitably I'm, I'm the one that gets sort of shunted forward. Yeah. But we want to get, get to the point one day where we are supporting people financially in through investment and growth in that way, whether it be venue or product or whatever else, not just our own projects. Yes. Because that's where we really see our value in identifying something that can be great yeah, and putting it through the Worksmith ecosystem to develop really quickly yeah. um, and then supporting that company ongoing. And I guess that's where our, we'd love our future to be in um, for Worksmith. Yeah. I just feel like I think you're like it or not, I think you're naturally going to become an advocate mm. for the industry, right? Mm. Because I think what we're seeing and what you guys did so well in 2020, Michael, is the fact that you just took, you took the oxygen and heat out of a room without even realizing it. Mm. Like we t- we talked, you know, a couple of weeks ago when we spoke before the podcast about how there were a lot of loud voices in 2020 that weren't really representing a large majority of the industry. And you guys were just in the background. We did 10,000 Facebook people giving proper content, proper advice, mm. proper support to the industry. And you were just naturally going about it. Mm. And I think what we're learning with, um, when Sash and I sort of out in the road and talking to great people like yourself, what we're trying to do with Poe is the fact that the industry remembers that. They they care about that kind mm. of stuff. They care about people who are actually supporting them. Um, so that's why I just love what Worksmith is doing. Like mm. I think it's naturally going to fall into that space. Thank you. I think for us it was always going through that phase. It was never going to end. Whereas yeah. Yeah. I feel like as we touch on a lot of voices out there, it's like, well, when this is – quote unquote over. Yes. You know, I'm going to be that voice. Yeah. Whereas for us, it's like, well, we're always going to, we're always going to be here. Yeah. And we'll keep plugging away mm-hmm. um, and doing what we can. And for us, like we've, we've learned a hell of a lot through that process, like an ungodly amount of information being downloaded into our brains through that. <laughs> yes. um, and yeah, I think just given us incredible amount of tools to, to go forward. And, um, and now we know uh, how to execute, that promise to yeah. industry a lot more yeah, uh, and through the, the, the industry membership that uh, is ready to go in June, mm-hmm. um, we feel that we can mobilise much more quickly yeah, I should agree. the next thing happen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which inevitably it will. Oh, of course. Um, it would hopefully just be not to that right? scale, but mm. um, to the scale we're experiencing. Yeah. But there will always be something in, yeah. in, in, you know, in, in every industry at the end of the day, but especially in hospitality yeah. um, that, that needs uh, the spotlight to, to help the industry through is there any part is there any part of the industry that you'd like some more spotlight hit on like as something that intersects into the you know that people don't think about or Mm. even industry people don't think about that we need to talk about more yeah i think there's a lot of a lot of conversation which has been great over the last year as well yeah um obviously through through the covid period um the black lives matter movement obviously gained a lot of speed yes which is incredible to watch yeah um i feel that there was a lot of t- again a lot of talk around that but mm-hmm. not a lot of action mm-hmm. um in industry uh and same with equality in workplace mm. uh i i hate that we're not 50 50 yep um male female mm-hmm. uh, in in the hospitality venues yeah uh we don't have enough females applying for jobs yep why what do you think that is? I, I, lots of reasons. Yeah. It's, it's a, it can be a bloody toxic environment for females yep. to be to work in. 100%. I'm not going to deny that. I've, yep. I've, I've been worked in workplaces mm. in the early years where I've looked around and gone, this is not a no. nice place to be no. for a male. Then I can't imagine what females are going through. Yep. And it, my, my partner, Vicky, a female chef, and worked in some of the best kitchens can't even imagine. in the world. Mm. Um, and I can't, yeah, can't even imagine how she through that and i think a lot of people turn a blind eye to it 
whilst at the same time championing that they're a champion of it. Yeah, good point. Um, and it's it's a part of the industry that I want to assist with, but yeah. I just don't know how. Yes. Um, I would love to see more females in management positions, in head chef positions. Um, there's, yeah, as I touched on, I think there's a lot of people championing things that aren't that great yep. in that area. So I'd love so. those sort of um, those those things really focused on uh, at a community level for, for hospitality on, on how we actually improve in those areas. Um, I always I, – I never thought I'd do what my mother does for work. She does community development. Wow. And suddenly I find myself in this position. It's like, oh, shit, I'm, I'm turning to my mother. <laughs> how did this happen? <laughs> oh, it was She's the happen. one that told me. I was like, oh, you're right. <laughs> Damn it. Change it. I love um, it. And – yeah, early days learning from her with with her work, mm. um, working at the uh, Migrant Resource Centre um, mm. when I was a, a, a young child and just watching what she would do in those sort of environments wow. and l- looking at people um, that had absolutely harrowing uh, lives. Yes, to get even just to get to here. Yes, um, and then understanding that what it meant for them to get opportunity in workplace. Yes, and that's that connection. I, I don't think many of us appreciate. No, um, and we work with Scarf here at Worksmith, mm. and they've been a Worksmith member for a very long time, mm. um, and supported them um, as as a charity. And just watching what they do, um, they're with, a great organisation with, with migrant mm. um, migrant pe- uh, kids and and teenagers coming through and, and giving those skills and training, then and then getting them into into workplace. Yeah. I think is incredible, and I just want to see a lot more of that happen. But then yes. also the direct connection to industry to, to give them viable jobs and then hopefully into leadership one day so then we can get more diversity um, in, in our workplaces. Um, and I, I think for me it's it's going to be a long road <laughs> in, in that world because although a lot of us say that we champion diversity or equality or whatever else, it we don't see enough of it. And I'm guilty of it as well. Like yeah. I'm not going to sit here and say that I, I, those things are important to me, but I'm also not guilty of yeah, it. Um, I agree. And it's something that we all need to start sort of calling out a lot more and mm. pulling ourselves up for and being okay with going, that's a wrong decision, that's the wrong hire, whatever else, and, and ensuring that uh, diversity and quality are the sort of forefront of our minds going forward in, in everything we do. My last question to you, Michael, I wish we could just continue on, honestly, because I think mm. we could talk for a hell of a long time. Um, what are you looking forward to the most in 2021, both personally and professionally? Mm. Uh, personally, spending time with family, definitely. Yeah. Another another child. Yeah. <laughs> uh, eight <laughs> week old. times. Yeah, very important times. Mm. Um, I think for me, as I touched on before, I'm really bad at looking after myself. Yeah. And then that has the onflow of um, when I'm not looking after myself, then obviously family suffers. Yeah, of course. Um. And there's that piece of like when I'm at work, I'm definitely work hat on and mm-hmm. everything's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just looking after myself a bit more and, and, and making sure that I'm getting holidays and that sort of thing, <laughs> which get is some, hard. Get some hard. proper time off. Nothing ever happens. Go on holiday, nothing actually happens <laughs> at work. It's fine. You come back and nothing's fucking changed. <laughs> nothing's blown up. Yeah. You know? yeah. And yeah. I, like, I think like that COVID you know, lockdown period and it's still now I've like really changed my thinking in, mm. in the the what I read and what I listen to. Yeah, um, I do a hell of a lot more reading in areas of sort of personal well-being. Yeah. Um, and I just would love to dive more into that world a little bit more. Yeah. Um, because I know that when I look after myself, my colleagues are happier. Yes. <laughs> my family is definitely happier. Yeah. And, and obviously I, I feel great as well. And yeah. I just love to get, uh, spend more time on that to, to get to that place a little yeah. bit. Yeah. What about, what about for Worksmith? What about for the brands? What are you looking forward to this year? Worksmith's huge year, obviously cocktail festival next month. Yeah. Um, we're also launching another brand called Good Spirits, um, which is a, a batch cocktail mm-hmm. in keg and in, uh, in bottle as well for retail. Wow. Wow. Um, and the idea of that, again, timing's a funny thing where cocktail culture exploding, mm. you go to a pub and people are drinking cocktails. Yes. Super weird. <laughs> yes. Um, but then uh, staffing is absolutely impossible across the industry right now, yep. let alone trying to get a, 
a skilled bartender in a pub yep. uh, or a larger style venue. Mm-hmm. Um, so we def- we intersect there mm-hmm. um, where we uh, use people in our um, community to create the drinks that yeah. obviously bartenders mm-hmm. um, and then manufacture uh, offsite with a manufacturing partner. And then those kegs go into larger venues yeah, and the right. uptake so far has been really, really good. And then yeah. the official launch is during cocktail festival. Nice. Um, so that'll be a huge one for Worksmith um, as we, as we grow that out. Yeah. Um, again, we've got all the, the partners there to create. Um, it's just about execution mm-hmm. um, of those, of those products, which is really exciting. Um, and then further that, as I touched on the industry membership launching in June, mm-hmm. um, that I can't wait to get on the road and, and chat to more people about. Um, so far, the the uptake has been really incredible, yeah. and and we really see that as a big driver for membership going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for Madewell, uh, the venues are, are going really well, um, coming out the sort of start of twenty twenty one, and we'll sort of watch this space for new venues soon. <laughs> Exciting to hear! Yeah. Exciting to hear. Um, Michael, what's the best way that people will find out about Worksmith or, or contact yourself? Maybe even uh, Instagram. Uh, at worksmith.io, mm-hmm. uh, myself at Michael Bichetta. Um, you can find worksmith at worksmith.io online. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where a lot of the resourcing and tools mm. are available. It's, it's all free website. at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll continue to be free, all of it basically, that, yep. that you'll see there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we'll have a, a digital membership that's released during industry membership that will unlock a few more resources. Cool. Uh, Bar Liberty, Capitano. Falco, if you're in the inner north, come amazing have a, places. Come have a, a coffee, a croissant, <laughs> a glass of wine, a pizza, and some pasta. And a pasta. That's just a full day. That's what I say to people. Like, what are you going to do next for venues? It's like, well, I love coffee, wine, and pasta and pizza. I'm good. You smashed. That's all I need. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm literally my blood flows carbs. Like, uh, that is the Italian in me. Me too. It's yeah. all good. <laughs> Michael, thanks so much for your time. I really enjoyed this. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Cheers. <laughs> thanks again for tuning in to another episode of Principle of Hospitality, the podcast. We hope you really enjoyed this episode. Please comment, like, and share this podcast with your friends in the industry. We're making this content with the industry in mind, so we'd really appreciate you sharing along with those that you care about in the industry. Thanks as well to our sponsor, Chef's Hat, the largest family-owned and operated hospitality supplier in Australia. They strive to inspire cooks, chefs, bakers, and bartenders to deliver the best product with the best tools every day. We're so proud to partner with them. That's where the industry shops. And if you don't know us at Poe, Sash, my co-founder from Principal Design, has one of the best design agencies in Australia. So if you're looking for anything around strategy, branding, digital design, and graphic design, then you can find them at principaldesign.com.au and myself at Open Pantry Consulting for anything to do with hospitality operations, strategy, and recruitment. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks to Chef's Hat for supporting us. And until next time, stay safe. Cheers.